everyone, it's a big warm summer welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters podcast with me, your host, Nigel Palmer. And on this week's fantastic Wildlife Matters podcast, we are going to be bringing you the facts about badger vaccination and in Wildlife Matters investigates, we're going to be talking about the dolphins being sold into a life of captivity and that is our campaign called This Masquerade. In this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News, we're talking about the government again issuing, issuing supplementary licenses for more culling of badgers in 2023. And after all that, I think you're going to want to join me for just a few moments in nature with this week's Wildlife Matters. And that will all be coming up on the Wildlife Matters podcast. But coming up next is this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News. Welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News. This week's Nature News, we are looking at the issuing of additional supplementary coal licenses by the government that has taken place over the last week. The government has expanded the Badger Coal by issuing supplementary coal licenses to 29 zones in England with operations beginning immediately. Natural England published the licenses for regions that will undertake badger control operations. As a result of this move, 11 areas that have been killing badgers in the licensed coals, ranging all the way from Cornwall up to Cheshire, are now moving on to supplementary culling. Natural England has also given the OK to resume culling in 18 existing supplementary cull areas. A spokesman for DEFRA said, Natural England has licensed and authorised 11 new supplementary badger control areas to begin operations in 2023. It has also authorised the licence holders to resume operations in 18 supplementary badger control areas in 2023. Licence holders met all the criteria specified by DEFRA's guidance to Natural England that was dated in May 2021. The supplementary coal licenses allow contractors to commence culling badgers as early as the 1st of June 2023. The government stated they were moving away from coals in favour of badger vaccination, increased cattle testing and the development of a cattle vaccine. However, it is clear from their statement they will continue to allow badgers to be killed on an industrial scale until at least then. Back in February 2023, the Animal, Plant and Health Agency said that their trials for a cattle vaccine and a new skin test for the endemic disease that is bovine TB had been a success. The combination of the cattle BCG vaccine and the DIVA or detect infected amongst vaccinated animals skin test is hoped to be deployable within the next few years. The statement went on to say that farmers were one step closer to seeing a deployable 
bovine TB vaccine as government trials move to another phase. The APHA statement continued, bovine TB is one of the most difficult animal health challenges the UK faces today, costing taxpayers around 100 million annually in England. Over 38,000 cattle in England and Wales were slaughtered in 2021 to tackle the disease. The second phase of the field trials will assess the safety of the vaccine and the safety and performance of the Diva skin test in vaccinated cattle. Now, you have to excuse me, but the cynic within me is unsure of why the BCG vaccine that has been used in humans for over 100 years and the Diva tests that have been commercially available for over 10 years require such prolonged and vigorous testing by the Animal Plant and Health Agency. My money's on the fact that these tests and the new vaccine might just be ready for 2025. And we're calling this investigation, this a masquerade. Whilst we here at Wildlife Matters welcome the reductions in the dry fishing quotas that mean fewer dolphins are being slaughtered, there has been an increase in the numbers of dolphins captured for the dolphinarium industry. In Wildlife Matters Investigates, we're going to explore the claim that dolphinariums are openly doing business with dolphin hunters and helping maintain the dolphin drive hunts. It's certainly true then that live dolphins sold to a dolphinarium brings a much higher profit than the dead dolphin sold as meat for the dolphin hunter. In Japan's now infamous Taji Cove, live bottlenose dolphins have been sold for as much as 152,000 US dollars each. By stark comparison, a meat dolphin fetches around 600 US dollars. The captive industry is driving the dolphin slaughter so that people can see captive dolphins performing tricks in theme parks, holiday resorts and even in hotel foyers. Of course, the dolphinariums that purchase dolphins from the hunters quickly play the conservation card, claiming that they are saving the dolphins from slaughter. The hypocrisy is of the cruelest kind. Dolphin trainers from dolphinariums have been seen working collaboratively and even side by side with the dolphin hunters, helping to force the dolphins into shallow waters, hauling them ashore and then lining them up. The trainers then inspect the dolphins individually, choosing only the ones that can be used in dolphin shows and captive dolphin swim programs. They are actively looking for young, unblemished dolphins and they will only save the ones that can be commercially exploited in the display industry. 
For those poor dolphins that are deemed to be too old or too young or the wrong gender, along with those that may have too many blemishes on their bodies, including those with injuries from the capture drive, they're not considered as worth saving. And the dolphinarium trainers simply leave them to be killed for meat by local fishermen. Dolphin trainers have been filmed assisting the fishermen in bringing these rejected dolphins to be slaughtered. Some of these trainers have also been recorded using ropes and physical force to separate the babies from their mothers. They then hauled the traumatised mothers towards the shallow waters of the rocky beaches, where they measure and inspect them whilst their babies cry out in distress, abandoned and helpless. They don't even bother to examine the very young. These trainers, driven by the dollar, know that these baby orphans can't be used in dolphin shows, so the young dolphins are always killed. There is clear evidence that dolphinariums and marine parks are truly exploiting the dolphins so that they can make huge profits from selling them into a life of captivity. The horrors of the selection process, which can drag on for several hours, cause extreme trauma and distress to these beautiful sentient animals. For many dolphins, the trauma and shock become too much and they simply die, either from the shock, exhaustion or their injuries. Cove monitors from the Dolphin Project have seen members of the international aquarium and zoo industry actually get in the water with the dolphin hunters to tie ropes around the dolphins' tail flukes so that the fishermen could tie the dolphins to the side of their boats. The fishermen then drag the tied dolphins to the killing cove. The dolphins are in obvious distress and many have their blowholes submerged beneath the water. The dolphins are so exhausted by now that they can't even stay afloat. Some were seen with blood coming out of their blowholes, but no one seemed to care. It's as if they knew they were going to kill them anyway. They even extend this barbaric treatment to pregnant females and younger calves. Several aquariums and Swim With Dolphin programs worldwide purchase live dolphins caught in the bloody drive humps of Taji. Japan alone has more than 50 dolphinariums and swimwear dolphin programs, ranging from extensive aquarium facilities, dolphin shows to such small tanks in hotels or floating sea pens in harbours. In the last 10 years, dolphin exports have gone from Taji to China, Korea, the Ukraine, Russia, Egypt, Iran, Turkey, the United Arab Emirates, Thailand, Saudi Arabia, Taiwan and the Philippines. So if you're visiting any of those areas this year or in the future, then just know that those dolphins that you may be watching were stolen from the wild at Tajiko in Japan. Aquariums in the USA, like SeaWorld, claim they don't import dolphins from Taji, but before a ruling by the National Marine Fisheries Service that stated that imports from Taji, Japan, were illegal because under US law, the capture of marine mammals should be humane, nobody can justify the barbaric dolphin drives as being humane, of course. However, 
Despite the legal protection in the US, many small cetaceans, such as the false killer whale, were regularly obtained by SeaWorld, the Indianapolis Zoological Society, the Miami Seaquarium, and the US Navy. Wildlife Matters believes it is time that every country accepts the protection of sentient sea mammals. No aquatic mammal should be killed or stolen from the wild to make obscene profits the dolphinarium and swim with dolphin programs that survive by exploiting wild dolphins and they are complicit in the murder of thousands of them every year. Now it's time on the Wildlife Matters podcast to settle back and just enjoy a few moments relaxing in nature with this week's Wildlife Matters Mindful Moments. a really short but super sweet uh, mindful moments this week it was how many of you got it yeah it was the sound of a badger snorting its way around my uh, local woodlands one of my local set actually so i hope you enjoyed that and um we'll try and get a little bit longer recording next time but that's the way it goes sometimes you just have to enjoy every mindful moment in nature Welcome back and on this week's Wildlife Matters podcast main feature we're going to take a look at badger vaccination and basically give you the fact on the the real value of vaccinating badgers against what uh, is a disease of cattle, bovine TB. But in today's world the importance of vaccinations in preventing the spread of airborne viruses or bacteria is perhaps more significant than it has been. The UK government recognises coronaviruses as a vast family of viruses, with some causing mild illnesses such as like common cold, whilst others can lead to severe conditions like the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome virus or MERS and the Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome or SARS as its abbreviation is. Of course, coronaviruses include the SARS-CoV-2 virus or coronavirus, 
which is commonly known as COVID-19. But tuberculosis, which is what we're talking about today, or TB, is an infection caused by a bacterium belonging to the Microbacterium tuberculosis complex. Now that includes M. tuberculosis, M. africanum, M. bovis, and some rare bacteria like M. microtia and M. pinnipedi. According to the UK government, it is a notifiable disease in the UK. Our primary focus is on M. bovis. It's a highly contagious form of bovine tuberculosis that threatens cattle and other mammals. This infectious disease is caused by the Microbacterium bovis or M. bovis and can even affect humans, deer, goats, pigs, cats, dogs and of course badgers. It is a respiratory disease in cattle but clinical signs are in fact rare. TB in humans can be caused by both Mycobacterium bovis and the human form, which is known as Mycobacterium tuberculosis. The Bacillus Kalmogurin vaccine, commonly known as the BCG, is a crucial defense against tuberculosis in humans. It was developed by Albert Kalmogurin and Camille Gurin back in 1921 and it was widely administered to adults in the UK and worldwide during our secondary school years. The success, in fact, of the BCG vaccination program in humans led to the discontinuation of routine vaccinations for teenagers in the UK back in 2005. Currently, the UK government recommends that all newborns receive the BCG vaccine within 28 days of birth to ensure protection against tuberculosis. Vaccination of badgers to stop the spread of bovine TB in cattle in the UK was first introduced as a concept in 2010 as vaccination can contribute to disease control by reducing the number of susceptible and or infectious individuals in a population and thereby reducing the number of new infections. If badgers are an important source of bovine TB infection in cattle, and there's a huge question mark on that, reducing disease incidence in badgers, the theory went, should result in fewer new infections in the cattle. However, the actual impact of badger vaccination on cattle TB incidents remains a significant knowledge gap. The British government promised to fund the development of badger vaccines against bovine TB as, and I quote, one of the tools in their box. This resulted in approving the injectable BCG vaccine for badgers becoming British legislation in 2010. The Veterinary Surgery Vaccination of Badgers Against Tuberculosis Order was enacted to allow suitably trained lay vaccinators, and by that we mean non-veterinarians, to vaccinate badgers for disease control. Since 2010, volunteers known as lay vaccinators have been trained to vaccinate badgers. In 
In 2014, after the first Black Pilot's Badger Coles had started, DEFRA launched the Badger Edge Vaccination Scheme, which was known as BEDS, that partly funded voluntary Badger vaccination groups to vaccinate badgers, but only within a limited geographical area between the high and the low risk bovine TV areas, they were effectively the edge of the pilot or the proposed badger cold lens. In 2015, the only company manufacturing the Badger BCG vaccine experienced supply problems ending the Sabadger vaccination and ultimately suspending the scheme back in 2016. The Badger Edge Vaccination Scheme 2, or BEBS 2, was relaunched in 2018, with DEFRA now funding Badger vaccination projects and subsidising the cost of training lay vaccinators. Injecting a wild animal is challenging, particularly as badgers are nocturnal and stay underground throughout the day. A lay vaccinator is trained to carry out a process that starts with surveying the badgers. The surveys record the location of badger sets and other areas of badger activity. This work is often done during the cold winter months when vegetation is low. The maps and data are recorded and held usually by the local badger group or an NGO heading up a project leading up to the vaccination project. Around two weeks before the lay vaccinator plans to vaccinate badgers, they begin what is known as pre-baiting within a designated area. This will generally include bait points using peanuts and molasses before digging in metal cage traps. The peanut treats soon attract hungry badgers to the unset cages, and having found the treats without becoming trapped, the badgers will enter the cages with far less caution. At an agreed time, the cages will be set for two consecutive nights and any badger caught in a trap must legally be vaccinated and released within a specific time period. This is vital to minimise the stress and the potential suffering of a trapped badger. The trained vaccinator will perform several checks to ascertain the badger is not injured from being in the cage and is in visibly good health. If all is okay, then they will vaccinate that badger with an intramuscular injection of BCG before marking and releasing the badger. Badger vaccination is incredibly labour-intensive process though, but with experienced vaccinators, supposed to be able to vaccinate around 25 to 30 individuals in a 24-hour period. But in truth, very few vaccinators can vaccinate 50 badgers over two days in traffic fields. One of the real ironies to me though, is that the badger coal companies are going through exactly the same process, with the obvious exception that they put a bullet through the badger's head rather than vaccinating it. Surely, with a combined effort, thousands more badgers could have been vaccinated over the last 10 years. Yet another reason why the badger cults are so tragic and pointless. The following quote from Professor Rosie Woodruff best explains why vaccinating badgers is far more effective than culling them. Professor Woodruff said, culling is intended to reduce transmission 
by removing infected animals which can transmit disease and by removing susceptible animals which can become infected. She continued, by contrast, vaccination is intended to remove susceptible animals by making them immune. Although culling is generally intended to reduce the disease transmission, badger culling is associated with increases in the proportion of badgers infected with Mycobacterium bovis. That's the pathogen which causes bovine tuberculosis. This increase in embovis transmission reflects changes in badger behaviour caused by culling. Such changes limit the extent to which culling can reduce the density of infected badgers. However, unless badger numbers are drastically reduced, badger culling actually increases the incidence of TB in cattle. And Professor Woodruff's conclusion was, and I quote, Vaccination is likely to be less costly than culling because it is unlikely to require much policing. Costs can be reduced still further by involving volunteers in the fieldwork. This directly relates to my point that if the UK government were serious about vaccinating badgers, they would help establish vaccinating contractors rather than allowing hired contract killers to shoot badgers. We still need to look at cattle vaccination though. In 2012, Owen Paterson, the then minister at Deborah, said the UK government was working to develop a cattle vaccine. The truth was, of course, that one already existed. The BCG vaccine would effectively reduce transmission and protect vaccinated cows from bovine TB. However, it wouldn't eradicate the disease. But that wasn't the real issue. Patterson decided not to focus attention on was testing. The current SICCT SICT tests cannot identify a cow with bovine TB from a cow that has been vaccinated. The BCG vaccine contains a live virus. For this reason, the EU banned the sale of meat from BCG vaccinated cattle now we're beginning to understand things. However, Owen Patterson knew the National Farmers Union, or NFU, would never accept market restrictions, so maybe it suited the British government to make it look like it was the EU that was causing the problem for British farmers. Even back in 2012, the truth was that so-called diva tests were available and they could differentiate between infected, infectious and vaccinated cattle. The DIVA tests were expensive and again our government concluded that we wouldn't subject British farmers to these additional costs and they would not subsidise them. Professor Rosie Woodruff, who was part of the randomised badger cull trials that took place through the 1990s and early 2000s, was very clear on the benefits of vaccination over culling when she said there is a good reason to expect badger vaccination to reduce transmission to cattle. Vaccination is often dismissed as a management option because it does not directly affect infected badgers, but this is based on a misinterpretation of the available evidence. 
culling does not prompt a rapid reduction in the numbers of infected badgers. The cull must kill at least 70% of badgers to ensure escaping animals do not spread TB further, but must not kill them all, as local extinctions are illegal and also, let me just add there, highly undesirable because you're really mucking about with you know natural ecosystems of which badgers play a very important part. Now we know that vaccinating badgers reduces transmission of bovine TB to other badgers, so there is a good reason to expect that it will also reduce transmission to cattle. Vaccination is also expected to reduce the proportion of infected badgers rather than increasing it as culling does. As you will be aware now, many different forces are at play in the bovine TB issue. The National Farmers Union certainly had a strong hold on the UK government and it seems are shaping their policy. Whilst wildlife, although supported by science, is left to rely on the best efforts of volunteers, many of whom have given their own time to help save badgers for a decade now. In 2013, Owen Patterson expressed great confidence in the government's badger culling policy, stating that it would effectively eliminate bovine TB in the UK by 2038. That's 25 years. Additionally, he confidently asserted that badger culling would lead to a significant 16% reduction in the rise of bovine TB within a span of nine years. Ten years on now, we now know his plan has fallen very short of its goals, but the authorised badger killing remains until at least 2025. As volunteers once again prepare to defend our native badgers with another 75,000 or so licensed to be killed in 2023, it is clear that the badger cull policy has been a cruel and an expensive failure that has killed up to 70% of badgers, a protected species whilst failing to reduce bovine TB in cattle. How damning. Wildlife Matters calls on ministers to follow the science, to establish an effective vaccination programme and to end the cruel, expensive and ineffective badger calls in England. And that has been this week's Wildlife Matters main feature. so many poor poor decisions and so many badgers have paid with those political decisions with their lives i think it's over 235,000, and that is over half of the uk badger population wiped out um, it's, it's just such a tragedy 
on next week's Wildlife Matters podcast. So we're looking forward to celebrating one of our favourite wild mammals, and I'm sure it's one of yours. It is the red fox in our main feature. We are going to be looking at the fascinating foxy facts, and that's one not to miss. In Wildlife Matters Investigates, we're going to be looking into canned hunting and trying to explain what that is. Of course, we'll be bringing you the most up-to-date nature news and spending a few moments together relaxing in our Mindful Moments features. Thank you to everybody who's sent us uh, emails and messages via social media in support and it means so much to me to keep me going and uh, keep our community building i'd like to thank you so much if you do want to get in touch you will find us on facebook instagram twitter and linkedin you can also find us on the web at www.wildlife-matters.org that's www.wildlife-matters.org and if you're a little bit techie, you can find us on Substack, so please do that. If you'd like to support what we're doing, you can go via our website where you can donate or become a Patreon. Entirely up to you. Everybody who joins us really helps support our work and helps us to keep producing this content and also to help animals, wild animals that need help around the UK. So. Thank you very much. But for now, this is me, your host, Nigel Palmer, Wildlife Matters, signing.